Hello and welcome to the Nobody Likes Casey McLean podcast. This is the Thursday episode, uh, recording it late, putting it out late. Um, I've had an exhausting couple of days. My uh, my daughter, her daycare has been closed because of her uh, positive COVID case. So I've been, um, I worked my day job and did childcare at the same time. And then... Uh, God, it's just been many days without comedy. So hopefully I will be at the uh, Laughs Comedy Club on Friday, Friday or Saturday. We're going to find out. <laughs> I'm bring it down to the wire. Make sure that I can't tell anybody to come or not. So if you are if you care to come out to that, uh, hopefully I'll be doing a decently long set. My buddy Gabriel Rutledge is there. And um, hopefully I'll be doing a decently long set and he can uh, – and uh, I can – Figure out on social media which day I'll be out there. I hope. <clears throat> anyway, uh, there has been some sports news. Uh, we had st- no voicemails today, but uh, send me, by the way, it's going to be a pretty short podcast, but send me voicemails at 253-237-3217 if you've listened to the voicemails. There's basically no filter on these voicemails, so come send what you want. I don't care. I will play. I will play them because uh, it's your employer that's going to be mad at you. Um. <laughs> anyway, Steph Curry broke Ray Allen's all-time three-pointers made record, which uh, Ray Allen played in Seattle. If you listen to this and you're not from Seattle or you're not a sports fan – um, Ray Allen played for the Sonics. He was, I mean, he's one of the best. I, so I think that Ray Allen has the prettiest shot in the history of the NBA. There's no doubt that Steph Curry is the best shooter in the history of the NBA, but Ray Allen looked like the prototype. First off, he's like six foot five, just a very smooth, fluid motion shot. Um, and actually, like, I want to talk about the difference between these two guys in a lot of ways, but Ray Allen was, like, an underrated athlete and also, like, underrated passer. He's a very, very good player overall, just a very smooth athlete that I don't think um, got enough credit for his athleticism back then and had, like, this kind of low arc, just truly beautiful, perfect, poetic almost shot. And Steph Curry is like the most utilitarian shooter I've ever seen. He has, he, first off, the guy's six foot two and revolutionized basketball by shooting from 35 feet away from the hoop. Functionally, he plays like a guy who's like six, nine, seven feet shooting that because you can't stand at the three point line and not guard him out past the three point line. And that spreads that spreads the court. It's, it's, uh, he has changed the game of basketball maybe more than anybody of my lifetime. Maybe, maybe that's not true. Since I think Michael Jordan and the ways that Michael Jordan changed the game. First off, Michael Jordan is like the first of the modern era players that I remember. When you look back and see footage of like Clyde Drexler or you see like, uh, Dominique Wilkins or the guys that were like the, big athletes, um, the like six, six athletes of their time. 
the Michael Jordans of their time, their time, Julius Irving, Oscar Robertson, I think was a big, uh, I believe Oscar Robertson was a point guard, but he was a big guy for the position. Those guys don't look like Michael Jordan on the court. Like Michael Jordan brought basketball a generation ahead evolutionarily. And I think that Steph Curry did that also because, because now there's first off, teams are rightly shooting more threes than they ever have. And that's, uh, if basketball doesn't want that, it looks like they're going to have to move the three point line out even further. You can't move it out much further on the, on the sidelines, but, um, teams now, I remember seeing this shot chart of like where every shot and like the density of shots and court position in like the nineties versus now. And it used to be that like, there were more threes than, than, you know, than anywhere but under the hoop. But there was like a pretty even distribution of shots, like mid-range shots. And now it's like a huge disproportionate amount of shots are either three-pointers or, or are at the hoop. And that makes sense because – so there's a there's a statistic called effective field goal percentage that I like, which is basically it assigns – it's like point value per shot. Ultimately, it's not exactly that, but it's like point value per shot. So like if you shoot 50% from two point from the two point part of the court and whatever your the amount of times you're fouled or whatever, um, or you shoot 33% from three point land, that's the same amount of points. So effective field goal percentage ends up being um, it, it's not exactly points per shot, but it it's on a points per shot scale or ratio. And Steph Curry is like, first off, the long three is like the, the taking long threes on a regular basis was a Steph Curry thing. It's a way that a guy like him could become, you know, one of the best players in the history of basketball despite not being an incredible athlete. Like Ray Allen, for his time, was a better athlete. He had a prettier shot. One thing about Seth uh, Steph Curry, though, that I, I like, I've missed a lot of this era of basketball, but he, that dude's release is so fucking quick. That's what I'm saying about him being so utilitarian is like, it's not always pretty. He's like catching balls and putting them up so quickly. And Ray Allen had this like very direct, visually pleasing shot, low arc shot. And Steph Curry's putting up these again, very utilitarian. Like these are like uh, they're lofty, like high trajectory shots, which makes sense. It's smart to to shoot at a Steph Curry's a guy that in a different time with a different coach might not have gotten the opportunity to play or to play those kind of minutes or to play that kind of game. He wasn't the first overall pick. I was, I think he was drafted 12th. Is that right? Let's see. I got to spill water on myself first. I have my computer over here for just no, uh, explicable reason. Oh, wow. My, I was about to play on the Steph Curry. When were you? I think it was 12th. If it's 12th, I'm proud of myself. 
damn seventh, which is actually still pretty high. But in the NBA, a lot of drafts are like one player, zero player, three player drafts. And then it's like a second tier of, of player. And I think that in his draft, he was considered Steph Curry was not considered in the top tier. Actually, we can pull up his draft. Um, and a lot of people thought he was undersized. I think that might've even, there might've even been some criticism that the, um, oh yeah. So Blake Griffin goes number one overall. Let's see who the other, who are these other fellas? God, James Harden goes third overall. I don't think anyone expected him to be as good as James Harden. Um, why does this not have a second pick on it? This is very stupid. Why did they skip the second pick? It's just like the notable... Oh, my God. Listening to me read... Oh, here we go. Oh, Hasim Tabit, uh, I think was how it was... Hashim Tabet? I can't remember. I know he had a weird pronunciation. So a guy that did not become an incredible player, Ricky Rubio. So... So Steph Curry is the uh, the third point guard taken. A guy named Johnny Flynn, who I don't even remember. I loved Ricky Rubio. I don't remember Johnny Flynn at all. Um, he played for three years. Uh, yeah, so Steph Curry was not like this celebrated prospect coming into the draft. He, oh man, Brandon Jennings was in that draft. Brandon Jennings was a guy who went to play in Europe because the NBA put in what I believe, by the way, to be an absolutely unconstitutional and should be illegal rule that NBA players must be a year removed from their senior year of high school. So he went to play in Europe instead of playing in college. And hell yeah, go get money uh, while you can. Terrence Williams, who was Terrence Williams once a... uh, yeah, Seattle, Washington. I knew he had a Seattle tie. He, um, I think, committed and decommitted to the University of Washington. The point is, LeBron James went number one overall. Uh, Kevin Durant went number two overall. That was the year Greg Oden got picked. Uh, Carmelo Anthony was three overall. And then what was was that? That was the LeBron year also, I believe. Like, these guys were celebrated and anticipated. And Steph Curry was supposed to be good, but I think the thought was that He's probably not a good enough passer, ball handler, athlete to be a traditional point guard. He's not really big enough to have an open shot all the time in the NBA, and he's old for his uh, old for his old for the draft. I want to say he got drafted as a junior or senior. Let's make sure that's true. Why don't we just make sure that's true? Steph Curry, how many years of college basketball did you play? College career. Oh, it's going to be annoying. Went to Davidson, so not even like... This is actually interesting because he didn't even go to a... Like a power... So junior... Yeah, he, so he played He played three years in college, which is also not like the modern... The modern idea of who an elite NBA... Where an elite NBA player comes from. Comes from a, uh, let's see what is the, the recruiting for this young man was like. Um, yeah, why did he end up at Davidson? Do we, do we get some information on that? Davidson recruited him from the 10th grade on. 
Um, yeah, didn't even for uh, Virginia Tech didn't even get off. Virginia Tech, not a basketball powerhouse. Steph Curry didn't even get a scholarship offer. They offered to let him walk on, and this guy becomes the best shooter in NBA history. But yeah, watching him, he he does things that he's not incredibly athletic. He moves great without the ball, but he puts up shots, quality shots, faster than anybody maybe in the history of the NBA. It's truly incredible. Um, I loved watching. My favorite players are always three-point shooters, and oftentimes they are guys who shoot. I loved Kevin Durant. Also, Kevin Durant, by the way, absolutely fucking roasted. Uh, uh, what's his name? Skip Bayless the other day. Skip Bayless was saying that uh, – LeBron James should be taking notes and watching Kevin Durant because Kevin Durant's the true MVP of the NBA. And Kevin Durant just said, <laughs> I really don't like you. The guy he's praising, Kevin Durant, quote tweeted him and said, I really don't like you. It was very funny. It made me laugh when I see it. Kevin Durant's like an amazing personality, has an amazing personality, and is an amazing player, obviously. But back to uh, Steph Curry. I love three-point shooters. I'm sad. There's so much of this era of basketball that I've missed out on. I've missed out on most of Steph Curry's career. I've missed out on most of Kevin Durant and uh, LeBron James's career, and I wish that I hadn't. I have uh, many of you who've listened to this podcast or who've, who've known me uh, for a while know that I had a boycott against uh, the NBA when the Sonics were stolen from Seattle. Um, so... I missed I missed some of this era of the NBA and it's very sad. Uh and uh it's it's also kind of sad by the way that Clay Thompson was Clay Thompson man was uh who's also an underrated athlete I would say. Who knows what he's going to look like because he basically hasn't played in two seasons. He tore his ACL and then tore his uh, Achilles rehabbing from the ACL and I think he just went to the G League. But he's a pretty amazing shooter in his own right. And for him not to be on the court with I I I loved the nickname, the Splash Brothers, him and him and Curry. Um anyway, I don't know what to say. <laughs> I did see a great meme, by the way. I don't even know if it was a meme, it was just a tweet, but uh uh Steph Curry was hugging his mom, who's a noted very attractive woman in her uh in her like fifties, maybe approaching 60 at this point. And um, I saw a thing where he was hugging his mom and someone put the caption, uh, please don't fuck Pete Davidson, which made me laugh. Um, okay. And then finally, let's talk about uh, Urban Meyer. Before we do, uh, send me a voicemail, 253-237-3217. Come see me do stand-up comedy, dkcmcclain.com slash calendar. I am um, my most significant for sure date coming up is uh the dates that are most significant are opening for steve renazisi at summit city comedy club in fort wayne indiana opening for gabriel rutledge in a deal by the way where i'm i get part of the door so gabe's headlining but it's like a big deal for me that you come out and see first off because gabe's an amazing comic but also like we are in this we are partners in this show gabe and i so that's at uh, North Bend Theater on January 21st. 
I'll get more details. I have a show on the 20th, but I can't remember the venue. I'll get more details and start start plugging that. And then uh, February 4th and 5th, tell your friends, tell your loved ones, your coworkers that live in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, to come see me do stand-up at uh, Honey Social Club and Eatery. Urban Meyer got fired. Uh, he had a pretty tumultuous time in Jacksonville, the less than a year that he was there. His team went 2-11. and 11. He had some controversies, one of which is he hired a strength coach who had a history, apparently, of um, racist behavior and comments. I thought this part, so the, the, that is like, that's bad, whatever. He fired the guy the next day. He brought Tim Tebow in to be a tight end, to attempt to make it make the team as a tight end. And there was a lot of like, that's kind of listed in his controversies. And I think that I've never understood the like Tim Tebow lightning rod thing, except for that some people really love Tim Tebow. But to me, that doesn't make him hateable or not worth trying out. Um, Tim Tebow did not make the team as a tight end, but I think like, is he worse as a receiver or like, in, the, in a time where Taysom Hill is taking snaps at quarterback and also doing these, like, gadgety things, do, we can't accept that Tim Tebow might possibly have a role on a, on a football team. And, of course, Urban Meyer has this connection to Tebow from their time in, uh, at University of Florida. But it's it's – I didn't find that one, like, as egregious, but I saw that on the list of his, like, controversial things – and then he um, got caught dancing with a woman in Ohio at a bar that I think he owns. And that became like a big story, which I, I actually, again, didn't really understand. Uh, it's not my business if he's cheating on his wife. Um, I didn't understand why that was like as – and I, I'm not saying that he was. Apparently, this woman was dancing next to him or whatever. I guess whatever he said, we'll go with. I don't know. Um, I didn't get, I wasn't like so offended by that one. I thought they get worse. Um, he apparently asked all of his assistant coaches to defend their resume, which is a pretty insane thing to do when you're the person that hired them. Like you should, the fact that they are here is on you. And then he, the most recent thing that came out is a kicker named Josh Lambeau said that Urban Meyer came up to him before a preseason game and was like, hey, dipshit, make all your kicks today, and then kicked him. <laughs> he called it a 5 out of 10 kick. And then Lambeau made the team um, and then ended up missing a bunch of kicks in the, the early part of the season and and got cut. And then now this is a controversy, which is like, that's not good behavior. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to minimize that. But the thing that about Urban Meyer that's interesting to me is I don't understand why NFL teams think that like because Urban Meyer was successful at Ohio State or Florida or like Nick Saban was successful at LSU or what are some more examples of this? I mean, truly like because Pete Carroll was successful at uh, USC, like why were these guys, why do teams not get that these guys have 
at those locations, they have access to the unlimited amounts of the best talent in the country. And that's not how NFL player acquisition works. Like, was Pete Carroll a brilliant tactician, or did he get one of the top quarterback recruits every year, regardless of if there was a position that that guy could play early, have the best receivers in the country? He got to just take the top 30 players in California, and that was like that was his recruiting class. Nick Saban, it, I compared it to like John Calipari going, he was at Louisville, but going to, uh, at the time, but I believe, and then he went to Boston, the Boston Celtics. Why would he be good there? Like, uh, Brad, oh my God, it's not Brad Williams. Brad Williams is a, is a <laughs> Brad Celtics, Brad Stevens. I went to high school with a guy named Brett Stevens which is, I think, why I have a mental block on that name. Brad Williams is a comedian. Brad Stevens was the Celtics coach. But he, uh, Brad Stevens took Butler, like not a power. He took like non-amazing athletes to the Final Four two years in a row. Uh, It stands to reason that if you give that guy incredible talent, he might be able to do something amazing. Give John John Calipari average NBA talent, is he going to be able to turn that team into something better than the sum of its parts? Or was he just able to assemble teams that had enormous sums of parts? And I think that's like what I don't understand about teams' obsession with Urban Meyer, with uh, Pete Carroll, with Nick Saban. Did I say NBA teams and then talk about exclusively football coaches? I meant NFL teams. Who's another guy like this? Um, Brian Kelly never. Brian Kelly's at LSU now. He never made the jump to. Um, Steve Spurrier was one of those guys that they wanted forever, and Spurrier at least was like a run and gun, like maybe kind of an offensive uh, guru. Nick Saban is playing fucking, uh, and even Urban Meyer, they're playing like, like hard nosed. I got the best offensive line and defensive line in the country, so I'm just going to run the ball down your throat every goddamn game. I'm so talented. My team is so talented. So um, that's, to me, not a winning strategy is to have a guy that's like a great recruiter that can recruit to a legacy football program. That's not impressive. Give me a – this is why, like, Cliff Kingsbury makes more sense to me, a guy that was, like, innovative – at a at a middling program, Texas A and M, right, was not incredibly successful. Maybe he's not a great recruiter. He doesn't have to recruit in the NFL. He's a coach in the NFL. Yeah, he's probably got to do some, you know, make a phone call to get a get a, a DeAndre Hopkins or JJ Watt onto the roster. But that was to me like a, a signing. By the way, he met the uh, Chip Kelly even who f- flamed out. Um, at least was innovative. It didn't work. What he was doing, I'm going to have a, a new podcast coming out, by the way, with my friend Ken Thoburn, and we talked about this a little bit on there, but it feels to me like it's about um Ken likes conspiracy theories, and I'm like a skeptic, and he said, I want to talk to you about conspiracy theories, and you do none of the work. You just don't do anything. I just come and talk, and you don't even know what it's going to be. I just come tell you about it and you comment on it. And I was like, I do none of the work. I'm in. That sounds good. 
So uh, we got drunk the other day and recorded. I don't know when it'll come out, but it's called. It's going to be called uh, very likely the Swilluminati podcast. Anyway, he. Um, I said this thing about how there's like some evolutionary theories about Mexico being like the Aztecs being like a thousand years ahead of evolution. And what is the significance of that? And how did they get there? And all that stuff. Um, and I kind of feel like that might be Chip Kelly's thing. It's like Chip Kelly was like, he had to do with a 50, he was trying to do with a 53 man roster. What maybe was only possible with like an 80 man college roster. And, you know, also with maybe like an elite college talent quarterback that it's hard to have an elite quarterback in the NFL. It's very difficult. Quarterback acquisition is like the most important thing. Uh, That's like the thing football GMs and coaches have to do to be successful. Who's winning without a pretty damn good quarterback? I do think that the gap between good and great quarterbacks has has shrunk, but still it's that's the most important thing. Anyway, so uh, I'm not surprised Urban Meyer's gone. He got he was able to acquire Trevor Lawrence and it's, you know, incomplete grade on uh on him. Daryl Bevel is now the interim head coach by the way. Daryl Bevel at least partially responsible for Russell Wilson's development, which I think was a pretty savvy hire when it happened. In Seattle, people hate Daryl Bevel. They hated him until Brian Schottenheimer came around. Then we kind of missed Daryl Bevel at that point. Um, Anyway, there was always a threat every year. It seemed like that, oh, Daryl Bevel's going to be a threat or a hope. People were like, oh, somebody will hire Daryl Bevel to be a head coach. And then it never happened. And people wanted him fired, and he ended up getting fired. Now he's a head coach, finally. And I think that he is the, I put this on Twitter, but I think he's the only Pete Carroll disciple that is still a head coach in the NFL. Gus Bradley, Dan Quinn, these guys were were NFL coaches. Steve Sarkeesian was, I think, uh, an NFL offensive coordinator. Did Did he ever coach in the NFL? And then uh, I think Lane Kiffin, so he was in the NFL at a point. He's now somewhere. He went somewhere. What is he, like Ole Miss or something like that? Um, but that's college. So I think Daryl Bevel is now the, the least likely guy possible, is now the uh, the last remaining um, Pete Carroll disciple that's a head coach in the NFL. All right, that's enough of this podcast. Send a voicemail, 253-237-3217. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Follow me at the Casey McLean. Uh, enjoy your weekend, and I will talk to you soon.